All we have to do is keep stumbling forward by faith in Christ, mm. and our lives will count. I deeply believe that. We don't have to worry about being in just the right place at the right time. Mm. We already are. Mm -hmm. The deepest reason that I have a YouTube channel and my biggest passion with this ministry of Truth Unites is to serve the renewal of the church. One of the things I talk a lot about is this, you probably heard me say this statistic, about uh, 30 years ago, one out of 20 people was religiously unaffiliated in the United States. Today, it's more than one out of three. You know, that's estimates vary a little bit. We're in a time of unprecedented secularization, de-churching. So you, then you ask, well, what would it look like for that to reverse? And sometimes we use this word revival to refer to these seasons of renewal in the church, which is what I want to give my life to. But I've discovered a lot of Christians have uncertain feelings about revival. And so I'm going to talk about that today with my dad. There are few people in all this world that I respect more than my parents, both my mom and my dad. I can't say enough how grateful I am for them just to be able to follow in their footsteps. I've, I've said this many times that I don't have to do a lot with my life. <laughs> I just want to follow in their footsteps. I just want to do what I've seen them model. You know, everything else is kind of open, I'm open-handed about things, but I, what I know I want is to follow Christ as they have done. And there's just, it's a priceless gift that they have given me in modeling an authentic Christianity, a real walk with Christ, not just in their ministry, but in, in who they are. And those of you who know them personally know that about them. My dad has served as a seminary professor. He's also pastored several different churches. We're going to talk in this video about some of the seasons of renewal that he's seen in, in his ministry. I'm also going to put up on the screen one of his books that's about revival. I'll link to that in the video description so that if you want to pursue further some of the themes in this interview, you can check that out. I also want to do a real quick book recommendation before we dive right in. This is a book that just came in the mail from Crossway, hot off the press, Sunday Matters by Paul David Tripp. There's so many great books that come out, and every now and again when I see one that I really think will serve people, I just want to commend it to people. This is one of them. This is a book of 52 devotionals to prepare your heart for church. Such a great idea for a book. Whoever had this idea <laughs> should, should get a raise or something. Or, or if it's Paul, I hope he just sells a lot of copies because it's such a great idea. Um, my wife and I have often thought about this, that especially with young kids, it's I don't know if it's just I don't know why, but it feels like spiritual warfare every weekend sometimes. You go through these seasons where Saturday night and Sunday morning, things are always going wrong. And so we've talked a lot about what can we do to arrive at church on time and in a worshipful frame of mind so that we're not just distracted and late and so forth. What an awesome book to help you with that. It's got these one devotional for each week of the year, for each Sunday of the year. So you go through it in a year. Each devotional is about two pages. It has a scripture, a question for reflection, and then a family discussion suggestion. So you could do this on breakfast on Sunday morning. You know, make Sundays a special day. Talk, you read through the devotional, and if you struggle with doing family devotions, you don't have to do it every day, but Sunday morning would be a great time to do that, and then you're all thinking and prepared for church, and the, each devotional is designed to help you with that. So I'll put a link to this in the description as well, and just encourage you to check it out. Well, welcome everybody, or welcome back to Truth Unites. Truth Unites is a place to go deeper into theology, to promote assurance in the gospel, and we're going to talk about revival, and I'm here with my dad, and this is such an honor to talk with you, Dad. You're one of my favorite people in this world, so thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm well, and it is a privilege to be with you, Gavin, and I respect you so much and the great work you're doing and helping me and so many others to think more clearly, uh, more hopefully, uh, and more deeply about the things of God. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited for people who watch my videos to get to know you better and your heart for revival uh, as well as just the theological way that you think about that, because as we were just saying, I think a lot of people would be sympathetic to revival, but maybe they've never had someone help them think theologically about revival. So maybe a great way to to start for people to get to know you a little bit is you have a, a wonderful life mission statement. And I wonder if you could just share with us ab about that. What What is your heart behind that? That, might, that would be a good starting point here. Yeah, my mission in life and in death is to serve as a living stimulant toward the next great awakening mm. in this country and to the ends of the earth. Now, that okay, that sounds so grandiose, and <laughs> so, but really, that's just Christianity. 
every every Christian, you know, whether that's the way we articulate it or not, we want our lives to count for Jesus. Yes. And if it if it feels a little grandiose at times, to, to me, there's something about that that can be healthy. It's like that Caleb and Joshua spirit of let's take the land, let's go for it. Let's lean forward and seek something great for God's glory and his renown in our day, because we need that right now. We do. And I don't think it's humble. I had to confront myself about this as I was thinking that through, Gav. I, I don't think it's humble for me to um, disparage my existence as I stand before God. Mm -hmm. But um, being honest with the scripture and reading, discovering in the scripture who I really am and what God made me for, um, my categories are, the Christian life is not something I have to settle for. It's something I get to reach for by repentance and faith. And if your life and mine and our friends who are watching, if if we really exist for the glory of God, for the display of his glory, then at some point I felt I had to give myself permission to matter. Mm -hmm. and, and my heart burns with a passion for viewers of my YouTube videos to know that their lives matter, what they do for Christ can be like a, a stone falling into a lake and the ripples go out, out and out beyond what, what we can fathom. The Lord always uses the weak things that we offer. We feel so inadequate in ourselves when we're thinking clearly, and yet God can multiply uh, out of our weakness. So um, it's thrilling, actually. It's thrilling. I, I love having a YouTube channel where this is a part of my focus is to try to serve renewal in the church. It's thrilling to me to think, I just want to give my life. I want to spend my life. You know, Isaiah 58, pouring yourself out to give food to the hungry. It's actually the best way to live, to say, I want to spend myself for the kingdom of God. Yes. So uh, self-exaltation is always poisonous. I don't trust it. I, I see those impulses within myself, and they're very distasteful to me. But on the other hand, I have no right to diminish my existence if in fact God created me for his glory. Mm -hmm. So humility, therefore, is saying yes to the Lord, I will be who you want me to be. Mm -hmm. This is so radically not about me. I will actually agree to, to be that pebble falling into the pool, the ripples going out. We don't need to see how the ripples go out. Uh, we don't need to see or certainly don't need to control how God uses us in our time. Um, but we're just we're just saying to the Lord, we're all in. Sign us up. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, exciting. So so some some Christians have a negative or ambivalent feeling about this very word, revival, and they may associate it with things that they have seen that feel forced or contrived or controlled or just kind of weird, you know? Um, and so we want to help people feel encouraged about this word. And um, maybe we could just try to think theologically about revival for a moment to try to help people think about what this word really refers to. How what, how could you start off by just helping someone who might have suspicions about the word revival? I get it. I mean, uh, how many times, especially, you know, I live in the Bible Belt, and still it's it's not inconceivable to drive by a church, and there's a sign out front, revival here next week, every night but Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever I see that, I think, well, I'm pretty sure there's not going to be a revival there next week, except maybe on Tuesday. <laughs> uh, because revivals that are sort of worked up by us, that are planned, and that are our own self-invented uh, plan That came out of the Second Great Awakening mm. and a change in American Christianity. During the First Great Awakening, Whitfield, Wesley, uh, Edwards, and others taught that revival was a miracle from above, a gift from above. During the Second Great Awakening, the first quarter of the uh, 19th century, that it became more a matter of turning the crank and uh, engineering outcomes through human uh, appeals, really um, crowd control. And uh, that 
turned people off. It turned off a whole generation. And that's that bitter aftertaste from false revival still lingers with us. But revival is a biblical word and revival is a biblical concept. Psalm 85, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Revive, just revive, revivify, rejuvenate, re-enliven. We, 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 we become exhausted, depleted, uh, tired, fed up, disillusioned in the course of life. This is, we shouldn't be shocked when that happens. It just happens. It happens to me and to us all. Revival is to be, is to feel, it's to feel like a brand new Christian cat and uh, re-enlivened. So for example, Acts chapter three, the apostle Peter speaks of times of refreshing mm. from the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't need that? That is not weird. And it's not man-made. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Or uh, even more significantly, Titus chapter three, uh, Paul speaks of re regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And the reason why that's so significant is that in Titus chapter three, Paul is stating a paradigm of Christianity, not a one-off instance of this or that blessing coming down from God, but a paradigmatic, this is standard brand apostolic Christianity and includes miracle. Mm. Christianity, authentic Christianity, is pervasively, not sporadically, miraculous from above. And all revival is, is God sort of hitting the fast forward button and uh, increasing. I mean, we all know what it's like to feel and sense the manifest immediate presence of the risen Christ in a very meaningful church service hmm. or singing a hymn, reading the scripture and so forth. Revival is that experience widely shared over a period of time. Hmm. And we know how life-giving it is. Yes. Let, let, let's tap into that a little more because I've heard you say this before and I've then heard myself say it, this happens a lot where I'm talking about something and I realize I'm actually just quoting my dad here <laughs> as something you've said has gotten in over, over the years. But you you define revival as the normal ministry of the gospel going forward with unusual power. And I'm kind of paraphrasing you there, but it's this idea that this is not completely separate from how the Holy Spirit is generally at work in the church. It's the same gospel, uh, but there's just an unusual power to it. And I thought maybe you could just take a second to unpack why it's important to understand revival like that. Yes. Revival is, uh, I believe, the normal ministry of the gospel with remarkable power from on high. Uh, now, every time I go to church, Gav, I go to a faithful church. It's a Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, gospel-preaching church. I'm in the presence of the risen Christ. We all are. And it is a privilege to go to church. I don't deserve it. But I also know what it's like when a church service becomes an experience so incommensurate with the human instrumentality. Hmm. I'm forced to say, God visited us today in a remarkable way. Um, who was it that referred to the incommensurability of the kingdom? Um, I'll come up with it later. But the one of the glorious things about going to church is the increments, incommensurability of it. The, the outcomes are greater than the inputs. We, we do the best we can as pastors and preachers and so forth. But, but when we can see ourselves um, that what actually transpired was so far beyond ourselves, our abilities and so forth, that is when we're, we're, we're moving into what we, the shorthand we use for that is revival. Hmm. And um, 
it's important to include all faithful ministry in the category of supernatural divine grace so that we don't create a two-tiered church where there are um, unfortunate, you know, faithful, legitimate, but just unfortunate churches that don't have that extra pizzazz. And there are revived churches. They are really pleasing in the sight of God. Mm-hmm. That, that is a denial of Galatians 2. It's a denial of justification by faith alone. It's a denial of the all-sufficiency of Christ received with the empty hands of faith by all alike. Mm. So uh, there's no uh, first-class section in this jet airliner taking us into the new uh, universe with prior boarding and extra legroom. That's just not right. We're all on the same uh, footing together before the Lord and all fully involved and caught up in his wonderful grace. But with the experience of the risen Christ, the converting power of the risen Christ is highly variable. Look at Christian history. There are long seasons when people are just ruggedly faithful by God's grace and for his glory. And then there are these uh, um, unusual times of, well, as Peter said, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, where the the gospel speeds forward with unusual power. Mm -hmm. But we are all equally covered in the merit of Christ. We've been at our church praying for a revival. We have a a once a month Tuesday morning prayer time. And one of the effects it's had upon me is to encourage me toward expectation and faith and, you know, asking the Lord to do something that I can't do just all the time because I'm, and it's, it's kind of a healthy thing to not have this two, like you said, a two tiered system where, you know, Lord, please send revival. And until you do, it's hopeless, you know? (laughs) So, so I might as well not even do anything. It's like, no, 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 no. Send revival. And in the meantime, we're just working hard, you know, so that the, there's not a, a hard cutoff there. So that's what I'm just, I guess, reflecting upon how your comments are helping me there. Um, let, let me ask you about something you just mentioned. You mentioned church history, lots of seasons of declension and then seasons of renewal. Was it Jonathan Edwards who talked about how in the back of my mind, there's some kind of quote to the effect of, the work of the kingdom of God in large measure consists in revivals. Yes. Uh, do you could you say anything about Edwards and his view of revival in church history and just the importance of revivals in advancing yeah. God's kingdom? Yeah, he did make the case in his thoughts on revival that um, the the Spirit is always present with the people of God. The Spirit is keeping us alive, keeping us following Jesus together, where would we be without the constant support of the Holy Spirit of God? We would collapse immediately. But he said the greatest progress, the greatest advances have been made during special seasons of unusual mercy. His language was something like that, as I recall, Gav. Special seasons of unusual mercy. It's sort of like uh, growing up in Southern California, I used to watch the waves come in as the tide was was coming in, and um, each wave would wash up onto the beach, you know, a half an inch more higher than the last wave. But then every now and then a tsunami <laughs> comes in, and uh, and and pushes the shoreline back remarkably. So it is a privilege and a grace and a mercy to go to any faithful church and just, for example, a friend of mine compared it to. Uh, the meals that we eat that keep us alive every day. He said, most of the meals I've eaten in my life, I can't remember. They were not remarkable, but they just kept me alive. But there have been some feasts along the way that I'll never forget. Hmm. That's kind of like um, the regular ministry of the gospel is nourishing. It keeps us alive. We don't want to miss a single Sunday. And every now and then, God says, all right, my children need a special feast here. So he gives that as well. Hmm. And that's, Edward said, when we make the tr- most progress in conversions and uh, and the spread of the gospel. Hmm. Another person whose thoughts about revival are, I think, helpful is J.I. Packer. And I remember you saying at one point, I don't actually remember what the occasion was, but he said something to the effect of don't neglect the revival part of your ministry. Yes. And I 
wanted to ask you just to unpack, you know, what, what did he mean by that? What impact did that have upon you? Yes, I was at, uh, uh, I was in seminary in April, 1972, and J.I. Packer came to do some special lectures. I don't remember what the lectures were about. That one sentence I've never forgotten. Mm. Very early on, the first of his four lectures, he said, men, do not neglect the revival dimension in your ministries. I thought, what a remarkable sort of agenda-setting urgency he's declaring there. And, and every pastor has to decide whether his ministry path is going to be no more than institutional maintenance or if he is going to, if he's going to settle for institutional maintenance, or if he's he going to, you know, attend to those things properly and responsibly, the management aspects of pastoring a church. But in addition, does he want for himself and the people he's serving to experience ongoing reality from above? So is my ministry just me being great at what I do? Or is my ministry as a pastor, me, me doing the best I can, but always praying that it, that it will be, come in the Lord's hand something that I, that I couldn't possibly do? I remember, for example, Gavin, um, one Sunday at Lake Avenue Church when your grandfather was preaching. I was 10 or 12 years old, and this was a, a wonderful church, Lake Avenue Church in Pasadena, very respectable, not weird, um, solid church. And um, dad was preaching. He was not at the end of the sermon. He was not in the conclusion. He was not making an appeal. He was just lifting up the Lord. And someone in the choir, a very spiritually sensitive man whom I greatly respect, felt compelled to get up and quietly, with no self-display, walk down and kneel at the communion table at the front of the church. He felt he, he had to get right with God. Someone else came down from the choir, and I began to notice people were getting up quietly from all over the congregation and walking forward quietly with no drama, kneeling at the front of the church in prayer, mm. in repentance, in consecration. Dad was caught off guard. He was surprised. And he realized, you know, our, our spiritual uh, uh, ancestors, uh, forefathers, used to call this the presidency of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit would come down from the risen Christ and preside over the gathering of God's people, and so the plan for the service that Sunday morning at Lake Avenue Church went out the window. Hmm. The Lord took over. Dad stepped back, went to prayer. The organist, bless her heart, had the presence of mind to, to slip onto the organ bench and began to play appropriately in a quiet manner. And the whole church, we were before the Lord, experiencing present, his presence and his renewing power in a way that we we didn't see it coming. And, and this was not a given to display. But we went through the wardrobe into a kind of spiritual Narnia that day, and we couldn't unexperience what we had experienced. Hmm. And it actually kept us more open to the Lord in future years. Okay. And the Lord is so kind to give us those moments of revival along the way. Talking about this topic, it it one of the prayers that comes into my heart, and this is what I was trying to articulate a moment ago, is this prayer to ask the Lord to do what only He can do that's beyond what we are capable of producing in our own giftedness or wisdom. It's just, just and there is a sense of, of vulnerability in that. You know, you mentioned um, your your dad. Let's talk about your your parents a little bit and their ministry. Yeah, uh, they were involved in a special week at Wheaton College. I want to say sometime maybe in the seventies. And if you want to comment on that, what happened, that would be wonderful. But I'm referencing it because of uh, something that they said about it when they said Re revival is not weird, 
it's a happy release and relief. Yes. And they were describing what the what the Lord did during their ministry there, and they were describing it as a sense of, you know, there was laughter, there was reconciliation, there was joy, there was a sense of freedom. It it wasn't a weird thing. It, it felt like coming back to healthy Christianity. And that always stuck with me and helpful for me. Do you want to comment on that at all? It was, I was there. It was a humanizing, relaxing, hmm. relieving sort of experience. It was February 12th and 13th, 1970 at Wheaton College. Dad was preaching that week. It was a Thursday night and a Friday night. And dad could, he was very sensitive to the dynamics in the room. He was in personal conversation with many students during the course of the week. And he told my mom before the Thursday night meeting, he said, Ann, I don't think I'm going to preach tonight. I'm going to come prepared, of course, but I think the students are ready for an outpouring of yearning and, and so forth. So he got up that night to speak. And he said, now, before I speak, I just want to open the mic to anyone who has something to say. We're all friends here. And if God has been at work in your heart this week, or if there's something that you would like to say, um, a story you would like to tell of God's mercy and grace, or a need in your life, why don't you go ahead and just feel free to come forward and, and let's, um, let's, let's listen to each other. And students did come forward, and a long line formed, and it actually, it went on all night. Mm -hmm. And at 8 o'clock the next morning, Dr. Hudson Armerding, who was the president of Wheaton College, he was there, he and dad just shepherding the moment along the way all night long. He said, well, we have classes starting very soon, so we'll be meeting again this evening, but why don't we call this off for now? bring this to an end. Let's, uh, we need to get some sleep. We need to go to class. We need to attend to our other responsibilities. So we did. Dad opened it up again on Friday night and it went till two or three in the morning. And what happened was sins were confessed. Anguish was um, poured out. People asked for prayer. People asked for forgiveness. People extended forgiveness. Um, you know, we're all walking around with regrets, with yearnings, and so forth. It, it just poured out. And uh, in a very quiet, gentle, courteous, lovely, honest, very honest kind of way. And the whole tone of the campus changed, hmm. literally overnight. Hmm. And there was a beauty, and there was a harmony that came upon all of us. And I experienced that. I saw that my whole generation experienced that and we were marked permanently. And so we just would, one of my lifelong prayers is that more and more people in your generation, when they're in their seventies, they, they will say, they'll be able to say, I will never forget this occasion when I received that um, reviving touch from God. Dad, how do you think Jonathan Edwards can help us discern a true revival compared to when something, there's lots of noise and energy, but it isn't necessarily from the Holy Spirit? Boy, that is really important um, because revivals can be corrupted by for example, if, if I were pastoring a church right now, Gavin, and it, it began to come under that sort of intense blessing, one thing I would do is I would not allow the press to come into the meetings and turn it into a spectacle and, and inadvertently offer a temptation to those involved. Secondly, I would just make sure everybody there is safe to talk about what how they're not doing well and they will never be exposed or ashamed uh, or shamed by that and also i would make sure to police myself that i would not turn it into any pastoral grandiosity but edwards wrote an essay entitled the distinguishing marks of a work of the spirit of god and uh, the banner of true trust has a little paperback jonathan edwards on revival 
And it's one of the three essays in that book. And he goes to 1 John chapter 4 and gives us um, the evidences or marks or telltale signs of an authentic work of the Spirit of God. So that when we see these evidences of grace in a very human situation that, of course, when we're involved, it's never perfect. <laughs> but when we see these evidences of grace, we know that the Holy Spirit of God is truly at work. And that's that would be if every pastor should read Edward's little essay, The Distinguishing Marks of the Work of the Spirit of God. Yeah. Let's suppose there's a pastor watching this and uh, they're having a prayer meeting on Sunday nights or something like this. And the Lord starts to work in this and uh, it starts to gain momentum. And you, you have this sense of, wow, God is doing something really profound here and it's growing and so forth. You've mentioned a couple of things that we need to be careful to not do, you know, not involve. If it grows to a point where you could even be, a, it could even be a temptation of the grandiosity of it and that kind of thing. But so here we're talking about how we harness and steward revival because we we know we can't control it, but we can influence how it unfolds. And uh, humanly speaking, what would you encourage that pastor to do and to be thinking about to steward well what the Lord is pouring out? That is a great question. Uh, wow, what a profound question. Well, one is uh, to ask. I would ask myself the question: Whose church is this? Is this mine, or is this blood-bought? Is this church going to proceed into its future the way I want it to, or does the Lord of this church, the risen Christ, have the right to take the work in his own hands and do with it what he wants? So I think it's important for a pastor to Let the Lord define his own future. The ministry doesn't belong to me. He called me into it. This belongs to him. This church belongs to him. My ministry belongs to him. My reputation belongs to him. And I'm not going to over-control what's happening here, but steward it as a grace and a mercy from above. This is really from the Lord, for the Lord, through the Lord. So it's not mine. Let's say a few things, if we can, to encourage pastors and other Christians who aren't experiencing revival. Uh, we're, we're in a season where many, many churches are hard-pressed. And I think one of the things I've certainly seen in my ministry, uh, and I know you have as well, is God uses the difficult seasons to prepare us for other seasons. How, looking back at your own ministry, how has God used the dry seasons to prepare you for those seasons. I think of the, you know, you and mom planted a church in Nashville. And I remember we'd visit about once a year. And each time we'd visit, we'd just see the sense of life and all the Lord is doing as this wonderful church is growing. Um, but God prepared you for that. You know, how, how does the Lord use the dry seasons to prepare us for those seasons of outpouring? What a great question. You know, if I could, be face be face to face with every pastor who feels like am i really making a difference here is this really working um and he's he's tempted to be discouraged and lose heart i would oh i just i wish i could say you're not crazy you you're right where the lord wants you don't give up don't lose heart every you know um our friend uh Dr. John Piper has written the wonderful book, Don't Waste Your Life. It would be great if he would, this is crazy for me to say, what if he were to write a sequel? He will not waste your life. Our Lord above values every one of his servants, both clergy and lay. And when we are consecrated to him, he is not wasting our lives. Every life lived by God's grace for his glory is contributing directly to the next great awakening. We don't see in this world the full impact of our existence and our labors and our prayers, our successes and our failures. 
but everything, the Lord is taking all that we are up in his mighty hands and carefully, wisely, shrewdly deploying us. We are right where he wants us at the right, we're in the right place at the right time in history to make exactly the contribution that each of us must make toward the next great awakening. So we don't need to see um, historic revival in our time. The Lord has, I was so encouraged by Tim Keller's, you know, uh, uh, he wrote those four essays the last two years of his life on the decline and renewal of the American church. They are so worth reading. And Tim said, so encouraging, he said, the Lord has many revivals planned for the future. It's just a matter of time. Mm. And here we are, Gavin, you and I, we're, each of us, we're flawed, we're mortal, um, we're small. And who of us, our friends watching and listening, wouldn't agree and say the same about themselves? But it is God's great joy to take flawed, mortal, small people like every one of us and use us for mighty, consequential, historic purposes that will matter forever. And all we have to do is keep stumbling forward by faith in Christ. Mm. And our lives will count eternally and historically. I deeply believe that. We don't have to worry about being in just the right place at the right time. We already are. <laughs> that, that is encouraging, incredibly encouraging, because I, I can relate to those fears, those those times where you wonder, you know, and you're just trying to be faithful one day, one Sunday at a time, one day at a time. Uh, who can't relate to those things? Um, I'm going to remember that. The, you're, you're in the right place at the right time. Let, let me ask you this, Dad. What what When we look at the church today, we're recording this in mid-October 2023. There's lots of problems in the world right now. We typically don't read the newspaper and then leave feeling encouraged or pull up a, a news headline and then leave feeling encouraged right now. <laughs> These are in and out the church. One of the things that is disheartening that makes me want to just pray for revival is the amount of disunity and fragmentation that is in the church. And one uh, uh, someone who's very wise once said to me that unity helps create conditions for revival. That always stuck with me, and I thought that's interesting. When we seek unity with other Christians, it helps create conditions for revival. Do you want to say anything about the relationship of unity and revival? Uh, why is it that, or or we could state it negatively and say when Christians fight and uh, against one another, when we are unduly suspicious of one another, we can make revival revival more difficult. Um. That, that really is in my heart these days, because there are so many forces that seem to accelerate suspicion and accelerate division. And we want to we want to counteract that. I think part, you know, both of us have a heart for renewal in the church. I think part of that means trying to be open hearted toward other others in the body of Christ, trying to look for ways to move towards one another. And I think that's a part of seeking renewal in the church. Um, what would you like to say about that? Can you can you oh, comment good. on this? Thank you. Well, so often, not always, but so often, um, relational fragmentation and needless division manifest pride, some kind of self-importance, some kind of demandingness, um, and God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. That is one of the messages that goes from Genesis to Revelation. It's foundational to the ways of God. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So humility, one of the great things humility does is it helps us to relax, come together, cheer up, and pray. And um, so we see moral corruption among us Christians in these times, we see relational fragmentation, but when we will humble ourselves and prove it by cleaning up our lives, 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, there are, in a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver, and there are vessels of wood and clay. If anyone will cleanse himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel fit for noble use, ready, set apart to the master. Can there be any downside to every single one of us asking, is there something in my life that is displeasing to the Lord? Colossians 1.10, fully pleasing to him. It doesn't say moderately pleasing to him. I want, I want my life completely open before the Lord. And then secondly, uh, when we face the challenge of relational fragmentation, is there anyone I'm standing aloof from? Do I owe anyone an apology? Can I... <laughs> Here's, here's a life goal. Stop losing friends. <laughs> Regain lost friends. Make new friends. And together, uh, seek the Lord. I was just with a man, uh, uh, a new friend, two hours ago here in Nashville, and he is he's bringing people together, bringing Christians together in this city to work together, to be on each other's side. Surely, when the Holy Spirit is moving, we have a new uh, kind of for you relational culture with one another. I'm for you. You're not the competition. I'm for you. And um, when 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 we have moral integrity, and when we have relational cohesion, we are actually moving into revival at that point. It's very encouraging. Let me ask you two two final questions. Um, you just mentioned the role of prayer. I think it'd be helpful to just kind of maybe reflect upon that just a bit more here at the end. Uh, what is the role of prayer in revival? And as you look back at history and, and look at revivals, or as you look at experiences from your own life, your own ministry, your own observations, how does prayer figure in? And and uh, how should that influence us in in the way we in the way we pray? Well, the Bible itself is filled with prayers for revival. For example, one of my favorite passages is Isaiah chapter sixty four, where the prophet says, "Oh, that you would." He starts out with the word "oh." There's a longing in his heart. Mm -hmm. He he has to use strong language because of what he's feeling within. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Um, that is not maintenance prayer. That's kingdom advancing prayer. Again, Tim Keller was one who helped me in his study on prayer, which we used in small groups at Emmanuel during the early years. And he noted that when Christians in their prayers together, if they're only praying if they if the prayers are mainly about physical affliction and um, personal concerns, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But kingdom advancing prayer opens the door to revival. Hmm. Kingdom advancing prayer opens the door to the kingdom advancing. <laughs> so we always want to give ourselves permission to pray bold prayers. It is honoring to the Lord to pray bold prayers for many conversions. And Gavin, I remember in the 19, late 1960s, early 70s, during the, what came to be called the Jesus Movement, and I was there, it was, it was, it was slightly odd and goofy in some ways, because we were odd and goofy, but it was a real movement of the Holy Spirit. And I have a living memory of hearing the music on the radio in LA changing. And seeing, seeing my generation change the subject on the streets from drugs and revolution to Jesus and the gospel. That really messed with me. I will never stop praying that you and your generation will have something similar or even greater to experience and talk to your children about someday. Yeah. So prayer kingdom advancing prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. 
let's give ourselves permission when we pray in church and in our small groups and so forth to go ahead and dare to pray that way. It's in the Bible. We don't need to worry about this or dial this back or filter it out. Let's part of following Jesus is praying the prayers of the Bible. And they're big, bold prayers. Hmm. Wonderful. Here's a final question. And most of these questions, I have to apologize because I'm throwing curveballs at you left and right here. <laughs> I'm just throwing uh, new, fresh topics because they're just coming to me in the moment. And I want people to hear from you on these topics. And, and this way, your answers for you, Gavin. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I, I think you'll be you'll be able to speak to this final one well, but let's, it because these people and, and thoughts about viewers are coming into my heart and I want us to pastor them and encourage them about this topic. I know, so you and I have a passion for the younger generation to experience revival. Um, uh, I, a lot of the people who watch my channel are, are teenagers or in their young 20s, things like this. And uh, I know a lot of people in that demographic struggle with anxiety and also struggle with shame. And many people feel unworthy of revival, and they feel as though it's this topic that's way over there, and it's for people who are a better Christian than I am, right? And it's for some, someone who's more worthy. And it is hard, even if we know it intellectually, it's hard for us to accept that Jesus could really love me and that he could really want to work through me in these wonderful ways that we're talking about. How would you pastor someone or shepherd someone with the gospel who feels unworthy of the Lord's work, and we want to help them understand just how much the Lord Jesus really loves them. Oh, man, what a profound question. <laughs> I think there are two parts of that question. One part is being with that person and being able to put my arm around their shoulder and look them right in the eye, and I wish I could do that right now. Mm -hmm. The other part is, to, for example, in First Corinthians, uh, the Corinthians were a mess, but they were the Lord's mess. And there's nothing greater in life than to be his mess. And the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put his arm around their shoulder and looked them right in the eye, and he said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. God in grace and mercy through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit has come down and simply changed the subject from the damnation we deserve, the shame that would stick forever. And God has come down through the gospel and just changed the subject. He said, we're not talking about that anymore. We're going to talk about my love for you and how precious you are to me and the greatness of your future in Christ and how thorough and complete and wonderful is his grace toward you Everything you hate about yourself, he has touched with his grace. He's not ashamed of you. He's not turned off by you. He's not tired of you. He's not rolling his eyes at you. Those, those you might be thinking of yourself that way, but don't project that onto him. Let his thoughts come and mess with you by comforting you and helping you to believe again that you have a life worth getting excited about mm. because it's been you've been redefined by the grace of the risen Christ. Mm. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Just keep saying yes to him. Mm. You, don't, you don't have to deserve him. You don't have to be great at this. Just moment by moment, just yes, Lord. Whatever you want, Lord, count me in, lead me, guide me, help me. Just simple prayers like that. You will be amazed at what he will accomplish by his grace for his glory through you. Mm. So matter. Mm. Beautiful. Um, Dad, I love you. I'm grateful for you at every level, not just in the wisdom I get from you, but personally. You are one of my great heroes and uh, I'm just so honored to to know you and to be, it's like, it's this wonderful thing of you're my dad, but you're also my my dear brother in Christ. So thank you for 
uh, just taking the time. I, I I would love to talk again sometime because there's, as we're talking, it's like I ask you 10 questions and I think of 30 more that I would love to go down, but we'll just have to save that for future episodes. Well, thank you for letting me be on Truth Unites today. And it's a privilege to serve you. Um, I wish I had better content for you, but we'll trust the Lord with with what we have. And And I really want to thank every listener for uh, thank you for being open to Christ. Thank you for being honest about your doubts. Thank you for searching for answers. Uh, thank you for not settling for something artificial. Mm. Uh, thank you for reaching for what really matters. Gosh, way to go. Mm. Yes, one of my deep passions as viewers of my channel know is to be a friend to people who have sincere doubts and struggles. And I really mean it when I talk about Isaiah 58 Verse 10, when I what I want Truth Unites to be is food for the hungry and uh, that, that you can come and even if it's just a, a refreshment in the asking of the question, but uh, I hope my videos will serve those who are watching. Excuse me for interrupting, Gab. I apologize. Sure. Yeah. Your listeners and viewers. Uh, my son, Gavin, is the real deal. Um, this is not just a gig um, or a career track or, or, or something. He means this with all his heart to the core of his being and he is serving you with sincerity and with wholeheartedness hmm. and uh, so i think you can here's a man you can trust thanks I dad. Yeah. i love you too man well thanks everybody for watching we will have more discussions with my dad there's so much more to unpack uh and i want people who watch my videos to get to know him better and and so we'll have more to do but thanks for watching everybody we'll see you next time <laughs>